volume two chapter eleven of the day will come by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven when haughty expectations prostrate lie and grandeur crouches like a guilty thing theodore walked moodily along the lane leading to the west gate brooding over discrepancies and difficulties in the case which he had set himself to unravel as he drew near mrs porter's cottage he saw lord cheriton come out of the porch unattended he came slowly down the steps to the gate with his head bent and his shoulders stooping wearily an attitude which was totally unlike his usual erect carriage an attitude which told distinctly of mental trouble theodore overtook him and walked by his side at the risk of being considered intrusive he was very curious as to his kinsman's motive for visiting mrs porter after yesterday's conversation about mercy have you been trying to bring about a reconciliation between mother and daughter he asked no i have told you that little good could result from bringing those two obstinate spirits together you have seen for yourself what the daughter can be how perverse how cruel what a creature of prejudice and whim the mother's nature is still harder what good could come of bringing such a daughter back to such a mother no it was with no hope of reconciliation that i called upon mrs porter i have been thinking very seriously of your friend ramsay's suggestion of mental trouble i regret that i did not act upon the hint sooner and get my friend mainwaring to see her and advise upon the case i shall certainly consult him about her but as he has a very important practice and a large establishment under his care it may be very difficult for him to come to cheriton i think therefore it might be well to send her up to the neighbourhood of london to some quiet northern suburb for instance within half an hour's drive of mainwaring's asylum which is near cheshunt then if it should be deemed advisable to place her under restraint for a time though i cannot suppose that likely the business could be easily accomplished your idea then would be to take her up to london with her servant as soon as i have found comfortable lodgings for her in a quiet neighbourhood i have proposed the journey to her this afternoon on the ground of her being out of health and in need of special advice i told her that people had remarked upon her altered appearance and that i was anxious she should have the best medical care she did not deny that she was ailing i think therefore there will be very little difficulty in getting her away when i am ready to remove her what is your own impression as to her mental condition i regret to say that my impression very much resembles that of your friend i see a great change in her since i last had any conversation with her yes i fear that there is something amiss and that it is no longer well for her to live in that cottage with a young girl for her only companion it would be far better for her to be in a private asylum where hers being a very mild case life might be made easy and agreeable for her i know my friend mainwaring to be a man of infinite benevolence and that there would be nothing wanting to lighten her burden he sighed heavily there was a look in his face of unutterable care of a despondency which saw no issue no ray of light far off in the thickening gloom theodore thought he looked aged by several years since yesterday as if the evidence of the pistol had struck him to the heart he knows now that it was his own sin that brought about this evil thought theodore he could conceive the agony of the father's heart knowing that for his own wrong-doing his innocent daughter had been called upon to make so terrible an expiation he could penetrate into the dark recesses of the sinner's mind where remorse from that early error and for all the false steps which it had necessitated dominated every other thought 
till yesterday james dalbrook might have supposed his sin a thing of the past atoned for and forgiven its evil consequences suffered in the past the account ruled off in the book of fate and the acquittance given to-day he knew that his sin had cost him his daughter's happiness and over and above that horror of the past there lay before him the hazard of some still greater horror in the future could anybody wonder that his eyes were sunken and dull as they never had been before within theodore's memory could anybody wonder at the strained look in the broad open forehead beneath which the eyes looked out wide apart under strongly marked brows or at the hard lines about the mouth which told of sharpest mental pain late that evening when lady cheriton had gone to bed theodore approached the subject of the pistol did you compare the ball with the revolver that we found yesterday he asked yes the ball fits the bore i don't know that the fact goes to prove much but so far as it goes it is now in the knowledge of our local police unfortunately they are not the most brilliant intellects i know of if you will let me have the pistol to-night before we go to bed i will go up to town by an early train to-morrow and take it to scotland yard as you suggested i suggested nothing of the kind my dear theodore i attach very little importance to the discovery of the pistol as a means towards discovering the murderer i said you might take it to scotland yard if you liked that was all i should like to do so i should feel better satisfied oh satisfy yourself by all means interrupted lord cheriton irritably you are great upon the science of circumstantial evidence there is the pistol taking it out of a drawer in the large writing-table do what you like with it you are not offended with me i hope no i am only tired tired of the whole business and of the everlasting talk there has been about it if it is a vendetta if the hand that killed godfrey carmichael is to kill me and my daughter and her son if my race is to be eradicated from the face of this earth by an unpeaceable hatred i cannot help my fate i cannot parry the impending blow nor can you or scotland yard protect me from my foe theodore scotland yard may find your foe and lock him up i doubt it but do as you please theodore's train left wareham at nine o'clock there was a still earlier train at seven by which farmers and other enterprising spirits who wanted to take time by the forelock were accustomed to travel but to be in time for the nine o'clock train theodore had to leave cheriton at a quarter to eight and to drive to the distant town in the dog-cart made and provided for station work and drawn by one of two smart cobs kept for the purpose he left the park by the west gate he had to wait longer than usual for the opening of the gate and when the chubby-cheeked maid-servant came down the steps with a key in her hand and unlocked the gate there was that in her manner which indicated a fluttered mind oh if you please sir i'm sorry to keep you waiting so long but i couldn't find the key just at first though i thought i'd hung it up on the nail last night after i locked the gate but i was so upset at my mistress leaving so suddenly never saying a word about it beforehand that i hardly knew what i was doing theodore stopped the groom as he drove through the gate he had a few minutes to spare and could afford himself time to question the girl who had a look of desiring to be interrogated what is this about your mistress leaving suddenly he asked do you mean that mrs porter has gone away on a journey yes indeed sir she that never left home before since i was a child for i've known her ever since i can remember and never knew her to be away for so much as a single night and the first thing this morning when i was lighting the kitchen fire she opens the door and just looks in and says martha i'm going to london don't expect me back till you see me there's a letter on the parlour table she says let it lie there till it's called for 
don't you touch it nor yet the box and she shuts the kitchen door and walks off just as quietly as if she was going to early church as she has done many a time before it was daylight i was that upset that i knelt before the stove a good few minutes before i could realize that she was gone and then i run out and looked after her she was almost out of sight walking up the lane towards cheriton had she no luggage did she take nothing with her nothing not so much as a handbag what time was this it struck six a few minutes after i went back to the kitchen what about the letter and the box your mistress spoke of there they are sir on the parlour table where she left them i'm not going to touch them said the girl with emphasis she told me not and i'm not going to disobey her to whom is the letter addressed do you mean who it's for sir yes it's for his lordship and is to lie there till his lordship sends for it in that case i may as well give it to his lordship's servant who can take it up to the house presently i don't know if that will be right sir she said it was to be called for then we call for it i his lordship's cousin and james his lordship's groom won't that do for you i suppose that will be right sir the girl answered doubtfully the letter and the box are both on the table and i wasn't to interfere with either of em and i'm not going to it that's all i can say the girl was swollen with the importance of her mission as being associated with a mystery and she was also in lively dread of her very severe mistress who might come down the lane at any moment and surprise her in some act of dereliction theodore passed her by and went into the sitting-room where he had taken tea with the kempsters and cuthbert ramsay a letter lay on the carved oak table in front of the window and beside the letter there stood a walnut wood box eighteen inches by nine the letter was addressed in a bold characteristic hand to lord cheriton to be called for the box had a small brass plate upon the lid and a name engraved upon the plate thomas c darcy ninth foot no one who had ever seen such a box before could doubt that this was a pistol case it was unlocked and theodore lifted the lid one pistol lay in its place neatly fitted into the velvet-lined receptacle the place for the second pistol was vacant theodore took the colt's revolver from his pocket and fitted it into the place beside the other pistol it fitted exactly and the two pistols were alike in all respects alike as to size and fashion alike as to the little silver plate upon the butt and the initials t d thomas darcy darcy was the name of evelyn strangway's husband and one of those pistols which had belonged at some period to evelyn strangway's husband had been found in the well in the fruit garden and the other in possession of lord cheriton's protege and pensioner the humble dependent at his gates mrs porter theodore changed his mind as to his plan of procedure he did not send mrs porter's letter to lord cheriton by the groom as he had intended after he himself had been driven to wareham his journey to london might be deferred now indeed in his present condition of mind he was not the man to interview the authorities of scotland yard he left mrs porter's letter in its place beside the pistol-case and wrote a hasty line to his kinsman at mrs porter's writing-table where all the materials for correspondence were arranged ready to his hand the west lodge eight fifteen pray come to me here at once if you can i have made a terrible discovery there is a letter for you mrs porter has gone to london he put these lines into an envelope sealed it 
and then took it out to the groom who was waiting stolidly neatly tickling the cob's ears now and again with an artistic circular movement of the lash which brought into play all the power and ease of his wrist drive back to the house with that note as fast as you can said theodore and let his lordship know that i am waiting for him here End of chapter eleven